Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 257 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show teaches people how to land jobs that they love in today's market without having traditional experience and without having to apply online. His strategies have been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Inc., Fast Company, and USA Today. And his clients have landed job offers at Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook, to name but a few. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Austin Belsack. Phil, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here with you today. I'm delighted you can join me. So Austin, can you perhaps give us a little bit more insight into exactly what you do and how you help people land jobs at companies that we mentioned at the start? Absolutely. So I do two things right now. One, I work full-time at Microsoft and I work in partnerships on the advertising side there. So that's nice because I, I'm sort of in it every day, so to speak. I think a, a lot of career coaches or uh, people in that space have since moved on. And I am lucky enough to actually be, be interviewing people actively for roles at Microsoft and looking at those resumes and seeing how people present themselves on top of coaching people outside of, of the full-time job. So I landed my job at Microsoft about four and a half years ago, back in, in 2015. And I started this website on the side about six months later. And it pretty much stemmed from my personal experience, which I think we'll talk about. But essentially, a lot of people came to me and asked about how I landed my role at Microsoft, uh, especially because I came from a, a bit of a non-traditional background. And after a number of people came and asked me, I decided I would package everything up into a blog post. And I created a website, I shared it, I did a little promotion, and it got a really, really good response. And so that was sort of the the birth of the site that I run on the side now called cultivatedculture.com, where I do the, the things you just mentioned. I sort of help people land jobs at uh, top companies without traditional experience, without applying online. And mainly that strategy revolves around two things, which we can go deeper on. But it's really about first getting a referral. Uh, even if you don't know somebody at the company, you can still get out there and build a relationship and when you're starting from scratch and once you kind of get comfortable with that relationship building side of things, we can sort of pick and choose the, the best person to target, you know, the person who might be our manager if we got hired or, or our colleague or peer who can not only refer us in, but actually be in the room where the hiring decision is made singing our praises. And the second yeah. piece is finding creative ways to go above and beyond to illustrate your value. One of the ba- major pain points of the, of the job search process, the traditional process is that we're sort of confined to uh, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper called the resume. And that, that piece of paper only focuses on things we've done in the past. And so that's not the best way to illustrate our capability, in my opinion. So we sort of step outside those traditional boundaries and, and we get creative and, and find ways to illustrate our value in our own words through a medium we're comfortable with, uh, allowing us to focus on the message that we want to deliver. So I've been doing that for a little over four years now. And we've had, I think we have 120,000 people in the in the community right now. They've landed jobs or many of them have landed jobs at the places you mentioned before. 
So yeah, that's a little bit about who I am, what I do, and and what I focus on with that system. Okay. I mean, just going back to the first of those two points. So you talked about building relationships um, and establishing that sort of connection or, or contact within a particular company. So if you were recommending to somebody how they would go about doing that, they have no connections within a company, how should they start that process? So this is a, a bit of a rabbit hole with uh, you know many, many branches in the tunnel system that we can go down. But at a high level, essentially, the, the first step in any search is to get clear on where you want to go next. Because whether you're a traditional candidate or a non-traditional candidate, uh, and you're, you're going through the job search, the job search is not fun. It's not a very, very enjoyable process. And it's usually not a quick process either. And the last thing you want to do is put in all of this work, um, invest all this time and effort and, and resources to end up in a situation you're not happy with. And then you have to kind of go back to the drawing board with a job search. So getting very clear on where you want to go is is a really big first step. And, and that is that could be a, an episode in and of itself. But typically, once people have done some exploration there and they understand what's next, the first step is to create a list of target companies. This system is it's really effective, but it's not very scalable. So in the way that using the traditional means, you can go out and apply to 10 or 20 or 30 jobs in a single day. We're not really going to be able to do that with this system. So instead of going one mile deep and 100 miles wide, essentially just kind of blasting out a general resume to 100 different companies, we're going to pick 10 to 15 or so. And we are going to go very, very deep on those 10 to 15. We're really aiming to learn everything that we can about those companies. When we think about those companies, I sort of think about them in the same way that somebody might think about applying to university or, or grad school in the sense that you might have a couple of, of stretch companies that are sort of the pie in the sky, your, your dream places that if you got a job there, you, you know, you'd be over the moon and you feel yeah. like you'd be set for life. So we have a couple of those at the top. Then we have a, a few middle of the road companies, as I like to call them, which are essentially companies that could uh, you'd be very excited to work for, but they might be a stepping stone into those pie in the sky dream stretch companies. And we usually have about you know eight to ten of those. They make up the bulk of of our list. And then finally, we have what I call safety companies, and and not safety in the sense of uh, you know you can get a job there no matter what, but more so companies that do align a little bit better with your qualifications and what your background looks like. And the reason we include those is not necessarily because we want you to end up with a job offer at those places, but this is a, a fairly new process and new approach. And as is true with anything new, you know our first take is not is not going to usually be our best effort um, or our most uh, efficient or effective effort. And so if we give ourselves the opportunity to get some practice, some repetitions in a low stakes environment at those companies that are you know, more of in the safety realm or companies that you're not quite as invested in, that's going to allow us to go through the process, to iterate, to reflect, to analyze and understand what we can do better so that when we do go for those target companies you're excited about, we're going to be in a really good place. So that's the first step. Uh, but then going into your question about, you know, how do we go about finding those people? So we have our target companies. The next step is to go create a list of, of contacts that we can we can go target or reach out to rather. And so the way that I approach this, uh, my, my job search process is heavily influenced by the sales process uh, that, that most salespeople go through because I, I myself am in sales. 
And, you know, Microsoft comes to me every year and they say, hey, Austin, you need to sell X dollars of Microsoft products or, you know, you, you're, you may not have a job here. Uh, but they, they say that a little bit more, more nicely than, than that. <laughs> so I have to figure out a way to sell enough stuff to succeed and do well. And I can't rely on that white whale or that, you know, getting lucky every quarter, every year or whatever it is. So what I do is I, I assign success rates to every step in the sales process. And then I start with how many deals I need to close and I work my way backwards. And that's essentially the same thing that we can do in the job search process. If we assign success rates to every step, we can work backwards. So if we say, you know, your success rate, let's say from final round interview to offer is 33%, and maybe we want two offers just to give ourselves some options, that means we need those six final round interviews to, to statistically put ourselves in a good place for two offers. But not every interview that you go on is going to, or interview process you go through is going to end up in a final round. So we need a buffer there as well. And, and if we assume the same success rate, say 33% from first round to final round, we need about 18 first round interviews. And the hope is that we're getting those through referrals. So we need to have at least 18 conversations with people who can refer us in, but not everybody that we talk to is going to be willing to do that. So we need to build in a buffer there as well. So I typically see that people need to talk to in the range of about 30 to 50 people, give or take, depending on how strong you are at building those relationships and, and getting results. But in order to, to get those people on the phone, we have to connect with them. And usually that's through cold email. There's there's some other ways to do it as well. But not everybody we email is going to get on the phone with us. And when we start, we're typically looking at a 10 to 15% response rate. So if we bake that in with about 30 to 50 conversations, we kind of end up at a, at a number um, that's in the ballpark of around uh, 100 to 200 contacts. So I like to to send people in the direction of 150. That number seems to be where things start to swing in our favor. But right. that's the list that we need to build. And, and people listening may, may be thinking, whoa, 150 people, you know, that's that's a lot of people to find, a lot of people to email. But if we think about our target list, it's really only 10 to 15 people at each of those 10 to 15 companies that we selected. So yes. it's not yeah. that bad. And then in terms of the people that you want to target, the goal should be to find the person who can, again, be in the room where the hiring decision is made. So the potential hiring manager or somebody who, who's on the team that you would be working on. And the easiest way to find those people is just using LinkedIn, taking that job title that you're going for, plugging it in, using some of the filters on LinkedIn to filter for your target company, to filter for the, the target geo that the role is posted in and then looking at the list that comes up that that is all you know everybody who comes up on that list is is already working in the role that that you want and so they are a great potential contact for you to hopefully get referred if you build a relationship but even if they're not in a position to necessarily do that they can give you a lot of information about the role in the company and, and where they're going so that is sort of my, my long answer to the first couple of steps that you might take okay just picking up on the 150, as you say, that's a significantly large number for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So presumably the, the the best approach is like many, many other things that, that you need to break it down into smaller chunks. So as you said, it's like 15 people maybe per company. Mm -hmm. So take your one company at a time and approach 15 people. Yes. And then do it the same again and it's a rinse and repeat process. You can do that. Um, I actually do recommend if people are willing to take the leap, I do recommend putting together your list ahead of time. And uh, the reason I recommend that is because the first phase of this process, which is essentially everything we just talked about uh, with another layer of doing some research on these companies, 
that's all sort of in our control, right? We can go create our list of target companies. We can kind of get clear on where we want to go. We can make our contact list. Uh, we can do that all on our own time. There, there aren't any other variables uh, or people involved in the process at this point. But as soon as we press send on that first email, then we start introducing some additional variables and some additional people into the process. And especially if, if this is, you know, if cold emailing is, is uh, not something that you do every day, and if networking is something that kind of puts a knot in your stomach and, and makes you feel a little bit anxious, uh, the last thing you want to do is be sending out emails and booking conversations, also knowing that, you know, you still have to go find your next 15 people at, at the next company. And so what I typically recommend is that people go do a bunch of this research up front. So we have all 150 in a sheet and that way we can keep the momentum going. So every day we show up and we say, okay, I'm going to email five people today or 10 people today. And you can kind of churn through that list. And that allows you to keep the momentum going instead of, uh, you know, you exhaust your contacts, you see what conversations are out there, you see where you're at, and then you sort of have to go back to the drawing board. So it allows you to kind of knock out all the things that you have in your control so that when we're sending cold emails, when we're building relationships, you can dedicate 100% of your time, 100% of your attention to those relationships, to the conversations that you're having. So I'm just moving on to the second point you made. So about how you can provide that additional, you know, what else could you provide? What is it that makes you stand out, I suppose? How do you approach that? Definitely. So there's, there's sort of two components to this. One of the big mistakes that I see people make is uh, just going right for the jugular, so to speak, with their outreach. So I think this stems from a lack of education, which is to no fault of, of the job seeker or any of us. I think the problem is what happens is we're all we're all told that networking is important and we're all told that we need to network to be successful, but nobody's really willing to tell you how to network. There are very, very few people who are out there actually kind of walking people through the, the steps it takes to build a relationship. And when you don't have the confidence in a process or a formula that you've seen work before, and this system also is, is a little bit interesting or, or this, uh, uh, you know, this whole idea of network is interesting because it, it involves something that's well outside of many people's comfort zones, which is essentially, you know, going to a stranger and, and making an ask, which is a really vulnerable and kind of scary position. And so what happens is people just say, okay, I'm just going to be direct and I'm just going to make this ask and I'm going to see what happens because they, they don't really know what other approach to take. So they send somebody an email and they say, Hey, Phil, you know, I see that you work at this company. There's an open role here. I'm very interested. I think my background is a good fit. Can you a, give me some advice, B, review my resume, C, pass my resume along, uh, or D, you know, introduce me to somebody who may be able to help. And that is direct and that's straightforward and forthcoming. But the problem is that's, a, that's an incredibly large ask up front. And you're essentially saying, hey, Phil, would you mind? We've never met before and, and we've exchanged now one email coming from my side, but would you be willing to vouch for me and say that I'm worth tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and I'll do great work for your company? Uh, that's essentially what you're asking. And that is a very, very big ask to make. And then on top of that, even if the person does say yes, you know that person's not really going to be able to effectively go to bat for you because they truly don't know anything about you. So even if they you do get the referral, you know, how much weight is that really going to carry? So instead, what we want to do is uh, first, 
we want to make the the outreach about the other person in some way. So typically what I do is I look through these LinkedIn profiles like we were talking about before, and I look for people who have uh, something in their profile and their experience or their background that I can use to make my outreach about them. So it could be something in their in their career path. Maybe they made a jump into a new industry or Maybe they worked uh, at, at a really cool place on a really cool project, um, or maybe they're professionally active on social media, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, sharing industry insights or ideas or whatever. And so maybe I'll engage with them there first. Uh, maybe they have a personal blog, or maybe they've been featured in articles or they've written articles. Anything that we can latch onto that we can use to make the email or the outreach about the other person is the best way to go because when we do that, we're, we're recognizing the other person for something that they've done. And, and that makes, you know, any of us feel good when somebody comes to us and, and says, you know, hey, Phil, I listened to your podcast and I really, really loved it for A, B and C reasons. You know, thanks so much. Keep putting out great content. That is a very, very positive first interaction rather than, you know, somebody coming to you and saying, hey, Phil, I saw that you have a podcast and I'd love to be a guest. We've never met before, but I have great advice. You know, take my word for it. Why don't you take an hour out of your day to, to interview me? You know, that that's <laughs> essentially what we're talking about here in the context yep. of the, the career side of things. And so if we can make that initial outreach about the other person, we're still going to get the same end result. We're going to get the person on the phone. We're going to be able to talk to them, but we're going to allow ourselves uh, or give ourselves some space to create a little bit of a relationship, start the conversation. And now if that person is going to refer us in, they know a little bit about us. They can speak to our background. They can go to bat for us. And so that's the first step is getting in the door, making the outreach about the other person, trying to find ways to add value. Um, the second piece is something that I call a, a value validation project. So this comes a little bit later in the process, either after you've landed an initial interview, or if you've had a really good conversation with somebody there, and you feel like they would be an advocate for you, you can start to think about this. But this goes back to that piece I talked about where the traditional process doesn't really do a great job of accurately gauging the capability of candidates. And so I always kind of like to use the analogy of, of uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I played soccer and um, I played for school and I would play on some some travel teams outside of school. And, you know, wh- when it came time to join, you know, the team outside of school, you know, I, I didn't show up with a piece of paper that said, hey, Austin scored three goals last year. And, you know, he has a really great uh, left footed cross, uh, you know, on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. You know, I, I went and I had to try out for the team and we don't get the opportunity to do that for any of these jobs that we're, we're going after, right? We kind of have to rely on words on a piece of paper. And then on top of that, the resume is, is uh, there's so many fascinating things about the resume in terms of, you know, the kind of, it's, it's sort of like a monster that these companies created, but we use this language on a resume that we don't use anywhere else. Um, it's almost like a legal document in that sense. You know, we never talk that way. We never, if we're pitching an idea at work or even selling something to somebody, we never use that language. And so we're not very fluent in that language. And on top of that, the hiring manager, the person who's actually making the decision is also not fluent in that language. And I think people sort of assume that the hiring manager is going to be able to, you know, they read tons of resumes, so they'll, they'll be able to get it. But Actually, the recruiter is the one reading a lot of resumes. They're the ones who sift through them so that the hiring manager only needs to read, you know, three to five for this role that they're hiring for because they're busy doing, you know, the job that they got hired and and are being paid to do. And so what happens is you have this job seeker and this hiring manager who are both, uh, you know, sort of 
Uh, one's writing in a language they're not super familiar with, and one is reading in a language that they're not super familiar with. And I always sort of like to say, you know, I live in New York, which is a, a pretty uh, culturally diverse place. And I like to say it's it's almost as if, uh, you know, somebody from, let's say, Brazil and somebody from China are, are at a bar and they both, you know, they both speak English, but it's their second or third language. And so they're not quite as fluent as they are in their first languages, but they're still trying to communicate. You know, they're inevitably things are going to kind of get lost in that translation simply because uh, it's it's a language that is, you know, a third language for both of them. And that's just naturally what happens. It's the same type of thing with a resume where stuff just gets lost in translation because uh, people are not familiar with that terminology and the way that we're, we're trying to convey our value using that type of language and, and that type of structure. So what I like to do is step outside of those boundaries and put together, again, what I like to call a value validation project, which is essentially a deliverable that that showcases what you bring to the table in context of the company's needs and, and their goals. So this involves doing a lot of research on the company, figuring out you know where they're at, where they're looking to go, what their priorities are for the next six to 12 months, what uh, obstacles they have to overcome, what challenges they're facing, what initiatives they're driving to get there. And then taking all that and saying, okay, based on that, where do I see opportunities? Where do I see gaps? Uh, how can I give feedback to an initiative or offer a solution to a challenge or problem? Uh, and then we we take that, we come up with some ideas, we put them into a deck is usually the easiest way to do this. And then we lead with that. And so what that allows us to do is one, uh, focus on the message and, and the selling points that we want to focus on. Two, we can do it in our in our words, in a language we're comfortable with. And three, it allows us to shift the conversation away from our past and what we've done earlier to, hey, here's exactly what I bring to the table if you were to hire me. Here's basically me trying out for this role and proving to you that I can do it. And so that tends to be a pretty effective method, especially when you pair it with a, a strong resume and some of those traditional documents. Indeed. It does make me wonder, though, if, if the whole sort of recruitment process will eventually change, because obviously now with far more technology and, and ways of communication that exist, the, the sort of the history and the standard process of using a one-pager, as you say, as a resume, it seems very dated. Um, and I know from my own experience that having done hundreds of interviews myself, that now when in, when CVs cross my desk or resumes cross my desk, I get a, a, a vague feel for what the person is about, but it's not really until you get them through the door, you really understand what it's about. Mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And then once, once, especially once you're reading, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 resumes, they, they sort of tend to blend together, I find. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it becomes even harder to remember which person, which name aligned with which experience that you were looking for. And did that person have that experience or was it this other person? And it just, it, yes. it becomes very convoluted and it's so hard for the job seeker to stand out, uh, but also for the hiring manager to feel like they have a really good understanding of who the best candidate is truly that's that's sitting in their application pool. Exactly, yeah. Um, I've, I've had um, previous conversations with, with other people about the, this sort of area, and um, there is sort of a suggestion that, you know, you, you say, you obviously mentioned the fact that you gave an example of be, being um, a soccer player and doing a, a tryout mm -hmm. effectively. That really doesn't seem to exist, does it, in, in terms of the sort of recruitment process of large companies at the moment? There's no sort of opportunity to go in and, and prove or, or give you some sort of um, gauge as to what you can actually deliver. 
There really isn't. And it's, this is a fascinating topic because I've, you know, I've sort of been preaching this approach uh, since I got started. This was, this is how I landed my roles. And I see some interesting pushback from, from both sides. So from the company side, I hear a lot about how they uh, feel like they're not able to standardize something like that, or that they're not able to find a way to to present that that won't disadvantage some candidates versus others. And also that it's just a, a lot of work and it could be gamed or gimmicked. Um, but at the same time, you know, they rely on these kind of algorithms that that have been proven to kind of discriminate against certain groups of people and, you know, don't always offer up the, the most equitable playing field uh, out there. So it, it's a bit of an interesting take. But then on the job seeker side, too, there is a, a big fear of uh, not wanting to do free work, which I, I completely understand. But at the same time, it's interesting because the same people who are saying, well, I'm not, I'm not going to work for free are also sometimes in, in the boat of saying, well, nobody's recognizing my value. And then it becomes a little bit of a catch 22 of, well, I understand you don't want to, you know, you don't want to give away your, your time and your work for free. But if you do spend a few more hours to go above and beyond and kind of prove things out, and, and that is what results in you getting the job, is that worthwhile? And so it's, it's very interesting. I'm surprised that companies haven't found a better way to do this. It's, it's funny because they're investing in all these, um, what I sort of consider to be gimmicky additions to the hiring process. So that there's a lot of, or, or there's a little bit of a rise in these personality tests or, or assessments, which are kind of funky. I was just coaching uh, somebody, uh, we had a session earlier this week and, and a company gave her a take-home case study. And some of the questions were, uh, what one was, uh, if you were handed a calculator, describe how you would, uh, or the steps that you would take to ensure that the calculator functioned correctly. And there's about six more similar questions to that one. And you're kind of thinking, well, what's the point of this? How is this allowing this person to really showcase what they bring to the table? Um, because this is not anything that they would be doing if they got hired. So there's just a lot of these interesting, quirky things, you know, video, video interviews as well with algorithms that are kind of looking for your nonverbal and verbal communication, the words that you use, the, the tone and inflection and all that stuff. It's just very interesting that, that companies are willing to invest in all of that, but not necessarily something that might make it much, much more clear who the right person is. And then on the flip side for candidates, this is actually, I view it as good news. The fact that companies don't have this and the fact that other people are saying, well, I'm not giving my work away for free. I personally view that as good news because if we look at this statistics, there's a range of percentages, but essentially um, it's sort of agreed upon that if you land a new role at a new company, you can expect an average salary increase in the ballpark of about 10 to 20%, uh, maybe more, maybe less, but that's sort of the range. And so, you know, depending on what you make, an extra, even if you, let's say you make $50,000 a year, an extra 10% is 5,000 bucks, an extra 20% is 10,000 bucks. And so, you know, maybe you spend an, a, an extra six or eight hours putting together this deck. But if you look at the raise and you do the math, you know, that's over a thousand bucks an hour for your time. I, I think we would all be happy making that rate. And so 
that's what you're you're doing the work for. It's not necessarily you're doing it and you know you're not getting paid for it. The, the hope is that you're kind of trying out and you'll get paid in the form of your salary. But also because everybody else isn't doing this, if you put in those extra hours, um, it's really going to shoot you far far and ahead of of the competition. And it's it's really really effective because the companies aren't focusing on it. They don't have a way to to integrate it into their process, and other candidates aren't doing it as well. So it really is an investment in yourself, isn't it? By putting in the time outside of your your yeah you know, your day to day or nine to five job. Yeah, and it's it's deferred gratitude, right? I mean, you, you have a, a, a fantastic podcast here, and, and when you release the first episode, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you release the first episode, you know, we, you probably didn't see a million people come and download it, right? <laughs> it, it it I think you said we were episode number two hundred and something, which is amazing, and every episode you put out and every day that you work on it, you know, you're, you're, you're working towards that higher level of success. And same with me, when I started my website, I had, you know, maybe one or two people randomly a day. It was probably like my, my wife and my mom coming to my website and then it grows over time, but I'm putting in a ton of hours every day to, to work on it. And I I wasn't getting paid for that. Why was I doing it? Because I knew that there was a future gain to be had. And so same thing here, if, if I put in the time here and I land my dream job, one, I'm going to be in a much better position in the short term with that new job. But whenever you're able to increase your base salary, or if you're able to put a very reputable company on your resume, you know, that really changes your career trajectory, not just in your next role, but for every role that comes after that. And so that those extra few hours, if they can get you in that position, the returns are are crazy, crazy high. So absolutely, it's 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 an investment in yourself. We may be deferring gratitude or uh, gratification a little bit, but I think the returns uh, will, will speak for themselves when you get them. Good. Okay. Um, well, unbelievably, we've nearly done half an hour, and <laughs> I haven't even reached the first question. So <laughs> normally it's about five minutes. But what we'll do, uh, I'll I'll crack on with that. So Austin, I know we've talked a lot about career but is there one particular career tip that you could perhaps give the audience that they may not be aware of absolutely i, I think that it, it sort of consolidates um everything we talked about before but but if i if i had to distill it down into one tip i would say that if you see everybody else doing something and everybody else recommending something i might take a step back and ask if that is truly the best way to do things so if you're applying to hundreds and hundreds of jobs online and you ask your family how, if you're doing the right thing and they say you are and you go look online and people are saying, yes, that's the way to do it. And you see all of your friends doing it. It's sort of human nature to say, well, everybody's doing this, so it must be right. But if you take a step back and say, why are people doing this? And then also, you know, the definition of insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over and not getting there or not getting a different result or getting the same result. If that's happening, take a step back and ask yourself, why is everybody doing it this way? And, and is there another potentially better way to do it? Even if it's different, even if it's a risk, even if it's sort of an unknown path, is there another way that I can try? And that is really the question that I asked myself that that over and over and over again in my job search that sort of led to this system. And, and now, six plus years later, I can share that system, you know, in detail with you, but, but a lot of job seekers out there are going through this for the first time. So if you're struggling, if you're hitting an issue, take a step back and say, okay, is there a different way to do this? Is there potentially a way that I can 
zig while everybody else is zagging. And if you take that approach, I think you'll find that you will differentiate yourself. And one of my favorite uh, career coaches out there, her name is uh, Sarah Johnston. She's very, very active on LinkedIn and has some awesome uh, content. But she says that when it comes to hiring, in a lot of cases, uh, being different is better than being better people notice somebody who's different, it's a lot easier to stand out by being different than it is to necessarily try to one-up the person who's in front of you in line. It is. I mean, there's an element of being disruptive about that as well, isn't there? So doing something that's out of the norm um, will actually, as you say, make you stand out from the crowd. Exactly. Okay. Austin, can you share with us your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience? I really think it it was uh, during my job search. So In terms of my background and where this whole thing got started, I really didn't spend any time in university or or when I was a student thinking about what I wanted to do with my career. And I I usually, you know, it's kind of my uh, MO to take the easy way out. And so I took an internship that fell in my lap uh, that my roommate's dad kind of handed to me. And they offered me a job at the end of college when I graduated. And I didn't think about cost of living or anything like that. And it, it was paying me about 35,000 bucks a year when I graduated. And, and that was not nearly enough to cover my expenses between my apartment and, and my car payment and all this other stuff. And then on top of that, my, my boss at this job turned out to, to really not be the nicest person. And the work that I was doing was, was really awful as well. And uh, essentially, I, I, I had to wake up at 3, 3, 3.30 in the morning every day to drive a couple hours to hospitals in order to be there for surgeries that started at, at 6 in the morning. So there was this yeah. combination of all these things going wrong. Because I, I didn't make enough to make ends meet, essentially, I ended up racking up a ton of, of credit card debt. I, I racked up about ten dollars to $15,000 of debt within the first couple of months of graduating. And then I had this boss who treated me terribly. And then I had this job that I didn't like. And so I started going through this, this process. And I think I hit my lowest point after within the first three months, I, I ended up applying to about 300 different jobs because they tell us, you know, well, if you go to university, you'll be able to get your foot in the door anywhere. And that simply wasn't the case. And everybody I talked to was giving the same advice, you know, tweak your resume, apply online. And I was getting so incredibly frustrated. I was like, breaking down in my car on the way home from my job. And I was miserable and depressed. And that was easily my, my lowest career moment. And it, it sort of turned around when I had a conversation with somebody who went to my university and was working at, at Uber at the time. And, and he essentially said, well, look, you are taking advice from people who haven't walked the path that, that you want to walk. And so if you want to see success, you need to go find people who have faced the same challenges and who have successfully navigated this change that that you're trying to make right now. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And that's sort of what what launched me into this system that we've been talking about. But uh, the lowest point for me was just getting rejected constantly every day from these jobs that I figured that I knew I could do if somebody gave me a chance. And I think a lot of job seekers feel that. And so going back to that tip, you know, if, if that's if that's you, anybody listening, um, and you're being rejected left and right, I, I know how frustrating it is. I know that it can literally like be depressing. And so taking a step back and again, trying to find a different way in the door, that's what changed everything for me. Um, and that's what changes the game for a lot of the people that I work with or kind of see my content and take action on it. So yes. that was a low point that led to uh, a lot of positives. Yeah. I mean, I, I did like your point about the fact or what you do is you find people who um, have walked the path already. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people put it 
along the lines of you you want to find people who are going the same way you are mm-hmm. and just ahead it's it's that sort of it's almost like a, a virtual mentorship isn't it you can identify people who are who are doing the things that you want to do and follow them exactly okay austin can you now share with us your career highlight and what you what you managed to achieve so far this is an easy one for me, um, and, and it would hands down be getting the the job that I have now with Microsoft. Uh, that was sort of the the defining moment for me for for so many reasons. Because one, it, it marked uh, the end of of sort of a very dark time in, in my life, which is what we were just talking about, um, going through that job search and trying to make the the career transition. Uh, so I, I ended up getting the offer from Microsoft, and I was over the moon. It was basically everything that, that I'd been working towards and, and hoping for. But on top of that, uh, Microsoft has just been so life-changing for me because they have, one, just been incredibly supportive of what I do and, and my goals. And so that that is at Microsoft and as a, a salesperson there, but also outside of that, you know, they let me uh, record this podcast with you. They let me post on LinkedIn. They let me do a lot of this stuff outside of work, which is amazing and, and is not the case everywhere. But then on top of that, I've had, you know, the best managers in my career uh, have been at Microsoft. I've also worked on the most diverse team that I've ever been a part of at Microsoft, which has really been a transformative experience for me in, in the best ways possible. And so, you know, really so many things, so many super positive and incredible things came out of, of landing that job. And I, I actually was sort of between Microsoft and uh, Google had had verbally offered me a, a job at the same time. And I was in the final rounds of Twitter as well. And I sort of had this decision to make. And Microsoft, when I started was, uh, you know, they were still sort of considered uh, kind of old and, and farty. And, and this was before or right when Satya Nadell was kind of taking over. And, and um, on paper, it wasn't necessarily the, the sexiest choice, but um, they treated me so well through the interview process. And, you know, my wife was, was had a big hand in, in me kind of taking that role instead of taking a chance on, on the Google or the Twitter side. Uh, and it ended up being the best decision I ever made. So that, that is easily still the, the best uh, thing that's happened in my career. Right. I mean, I, I didn't obviously when we started the, the beginning of the the interview, you did mention you're actually in New York at the moment. So, uh, presumably, you, your working arrangements are quite flexible, and you <laughs> tend to work remotely. Yes, exactly. So we we um, we just moved. We lived in Manhattan for a while. We just moved across the water to uh, Jersey City, which is essentially it's a it's a ten minute ride from a uh, subway ride from downtown Manhattan. But but we I still work in the city. Uh, you know, before all this happened, but. Microsoft was one of the first companies to kind of say, hey, you know, this is serious. They actually canceled. We were supposed to have a massive global summit and they canceled it in early, early March. Uh, and everybody was kind of looking at them sideways, wondering, you know, why did you just kind of throw a couple million dollars in in the garbage because of this, you know, this whole summit? And it turned out to be, you know, the right decision. So they've, they've really handled this situation incredibly well and, and we're super lucky to be there. I mean, I get emails from our, our leadership team, uh, you know, on a weekly basis that essentially say, you know, here are our priorities, you know, priority one is, is you and your family and your health. So do what you need to do to, to take care of that. If you need to take a mental health day, do that. And then the next one is, you know, your customers, et cetera. But the, the fact that they're emphasizing us and our health and, and all that over the revenue and, and things like that, I think that's a pretty impressive thing to do that most companies don't do. Uh, so I, I feel very, very lucky to be there. 
I think it leads quite well into the next question. So what excites you about the future of the tech industry in particular? I think the thing that I'm most excited for is that technology seems to finally, I mean, it's, it's, it has for a while enabled us to kind of work from anywhere, but I think we've needed a little bit of a, of a radical uh, thing to happen to kind of nudge that in, in the right direction. And I think we're sort of in, in the middle of, of that radical thing right now with, with this pandemic. And so I'm excited to see more flexibility in the workplace. And I'm excited to see what comes out of that because I think there's so many repercussions that are sort of baked into a work from home setup where sure, we, we get some work-life balance and, and you don't have to commute, but also, you know, there's climate uh, implications as well. You know, if there's fewer cars on the road commuting and if there are, you know, fewer gigantic buildings being built to house hundreds or thousands of employees, there's so many positives that, that can come out of this. And technology is really making that possible and, and enabling it. So I think that that's, that's what I'm most excited to see. Some more flexibility around when people work, how people work, the way that they work, that allows people to, to do their work in the way that's great for them. And I would say another thing that I'm excited about is just how technology is making it so easy to start something. Um, you know, you want to start a, a website, you can do that in a weekend. You want to start a podcast, you know, you, you can just uh, fire up your QuickTime thing on your Mac and, and record an episode in, in you know, f- a few seconds and then sign up for one of these platforms like a Zencaster or anything else and put it out there. And so the, the barrier to entry for people to start chasing their dreams and, and creating, you know, what they have in their head, it's never been easier to do that. And that is that is really exciting to me. And I think we're only going to see more of that as time goes on. I mean, for me, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what will happen after the, the pandemic is over and obviously thing, things change and we go back to what we think is normality. <laughs> but given the, the things that have happened during the sort of lockdown and so forth and the fact that people are using more technology to communicate, I wonder what the impact's going to be. I, I mean, I, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but the, the uptake on things like Zoom and Google Hangouts must be huge. Yeah. I remember, uh, so being being at Microsoft, they were they were pushing Teams really really hard last year because yep. there were, there weren't really many users. Like Slack was the the lion in the space, and I actually was coaching somebody, and we did a value validation project on Microsoft Teams, and we chose Teams specifically because it was kind of lagging behind expectations. And then you know, lo and behold. February, March of this year comes around. And then I think Teams added something like 22 to 25 million users in, in a month. And I think wow. that was more than Slack has on its platform, you know, in its in its history. And they just kind of made that happen overnight because of this change. And so you're absolutely right. These tools are, they've been in place for a while, but but we haven't had, you know, the necessity to really throw ourselves into them until now, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Okay. We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? Let's do it. So what first attracted you to a career in the IT industry? The number one thing was just the way that I saw people working and what was possible. Essentially, the the two things that I just said I was excited about. Um, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and start my own thing. And I saw these people who had an online business were the ones who are living the best lifestyles. You know, I don't I haven't taken funding for my my company um, and I don't really plan to because I, I don't 
see uh, starting a business as as I, I don't want to start something and then have it turn into essentially you know a, another uh, sort of traditional nine to five full time job where we're beholden to other people. And so you know I saw a lot of people creating these online businesses and sort of running them themselves. And I thought, well, if I want to do that, I need to get some experience. And, and what better place to do that than at the companies that are in the mix when it comes to advertising and marketing online. And so I really targeted a lot of, of these companies that were in the online advertising space in, in different capacities to get that experience. It was essentially all born out of the fact that uh, the work-life balance, the the, the pay, uh, the companies were all very, very cool. And they, they kind of led into this funnel for me to get the experience I needed to start you know, this business that I've started. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? It's definitely the the talk that I had with that that person um, over coffee, which was you know to only take advice from people who who already have what you want. There's yes. yeah, there's a lot of noise out there, and it can be tough to cut through. And so, taking a good hard look at who the advice is coming from and seeing if they have been where where you are now and they've walked the path and they've seen success. Uh, if if you just put that one filter on the advice you receive. Uh, you're going to cut out a lot of noise and you're going to be much, much more effective. And conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? I think it was really to to go through the traditional application process. Um, you know, everybody that I talked to, when, when I went and sought advice, when I was trying to make that, that change out of my first job, I went to everybody that we normally go to, right? Parents, I went to my friends, I went to family friends, I went to, you know, career counselors at university. And everybody told me the same thing, which was that, you know, you tweak your resume, you apply online, and it's a numbers game. You know, you, you keep applying until you land something. And God, that was just the worst advice for so many reasons. I mean, it, it didn't work, but not only that, you know, it's, it's so hard to face so much rejection. And I think the worst part about it is the fact that there's no way for you to predict your outputs from your inputs, right? You, you know, if I'm, if I'm kind of baking a cake, I know that if I put a, a teaspoon of salt in, or I put in a, a two cups of salt, you know, the, the two cups of salt is going to be a lot saltier, but for online applications, I could apply to one or 50 or 300. And I couldn't tell you how many interviews I could expect to get out of that. And so it was definitely a red flag that all of these people from such different walks of life were, were giving me the same advice. And, and so turning away from that into that best piece of advice I got, um, they were sort of back to back there. And that was a, a huge change that kind of um, completely shifted the trajectory. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Going back to university, I would study something different than uh, biology. <laughs> I would probably have studied psychology instead because I think that the two most valuable skills that that people can learn today, in my opinion, are one, storytelling, and two, copywriting, which is essentially you know how to persuade people with with the the written word, uh, so to so to speak. And so th- those two things are so important for anything you want to do. People buy into stories, and and people you know, we do a lot of written communication and we do a lot of selling and and pitching ideas and talking, you know, through writing these days. And so understanding how to do that stuff would be great. And then I would probably have gone into, I mean, I would have gone into tech earlier and I'm not sure I I would have changed anything after that. But I also think that uh, I'm very grateful for the rough times that that I went through because I don't think I would have, you know, if I, if I majored in marketing and then when I got when I got a job at a startup and whatever, sure, I made it may have made it to where I am eventually, but 
I wouldn't have learned nearly as much along the way. I wouldn't have had this business that I have now. I wouldn't have the story that I have. And so I am grateful for, for the hard times as well. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on yourself? It's really twofold. Uh, c- continuing to kind of do, do well at Microsoft and uh, s- sell enough Microsoft stuff so they they, they keep me around. Um, that's yeah. number one. And number two is uh, really getting as much free, valuable information out there to job seekers as I can. That's really been the, the ethos of my business and, and sort of my mission from day one of, of starting Cultivated Culture in this company. And so especially with the the pandemic and and in the U.S., you know, we we're at 22 million people filing for uh, unemployment, and there's even more than that that have been laid off. So, just trying to get the the most free advice out there that's valuable to people as I possibly can. That's that's really the number one goal for me right now. And what's the number one non technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I would say uh, the, the things that I just talked about, um, the the storytelling and the copywriting. For for me, it would definitely be copywriting um, because it factors into so many things. You know, if you can learn how to write your resume uh, in a way that is kind of persuasive to people, or write an email that's persuasive to people. You know, if you're sending a cold email to build a relationship, or how to write a LinkedIn profile, or how to you know a, a, any so much of what we do is is through written communication now. And focusing on that and learning how to kind of get buy-in from the other side through your writing is is absolutely critical. So I, I think that that's easily the most important non-technical skill. You know, some of the questions you'd ask me, I think if I could go back and do anything, I would probably say that I would go back and learn how to program and be a software engineer. But my brain yes. doesn't work like that. And so <laughs> I could tell you that, but I would be pretty, I would be a bad software engineer. I just, I just know that and I know myself. So that is where my personal answer stem from. But I think going back and, and learning to program would, would be that if you can program and you can also communicate effectively, you're essentially probably the, the most valuable employee that's out there right now. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Uh, a, a lot of stuff. It is, uh, there, there aren't many dull, dull moments around our, our household. So I have my, my nine to five job and then I work on cultivated culture outside of that. But outside of those things, I we, we do uh, some home brewing. So we brew our own beer at home. My wife and I, we uh, also kind of make and ferment our own hot sauce. We exercise together. And then we, we like to work on fun projects. So, um, you know, my wife helps me with Cultivated Culture a lot. And she kind of manages some of the stuff there. She also has a podcast that uh, I, I wouldn't say that I contribute as much as I had as much as she contributes to me. Um, and that is solely her thing and her success. And it's been amazing. But we we like to kind of if, think of ideas and kind of go out and, and take action on them and see what comes of it. And we get a lot of joy out of that and a lot of motivation. So yeah, th- those are all things that we like to do outside of our, our day jobs. Good. Excellent. Okay. And Austin, can you share maybe a parting piece of career advice? One of the things we talked about before was the first step in anything is getting clear on where you want to go. And we talked a lot about what to do when you know where you want to go, but all that stuff is is not going to be effective if you're not very clear on what's next. Because if you're saying, well, I could be an account manager, I guess to stay with the technical vein, we, we could say, well, I'm interested in uh, potentially UX design, but I also like, you know, .NET development. And, you know, maybe, you know, front end is, is also interesting to me. Now, now you're playing in three very different spaces and you're sort of going to be a, a jack of all trades master of none. 
And the people who are masters in those fields are, are going to beat you out consistently. So getting very clear on what's next is huge. And, and the way that I recommend that people do that is one, just going out there and uh, just talking to people who are doing interesting things. So go talk to that user experience designer, go talk to that .NET developer, go talk to that front end developer and just learn about the projects they're working on and what they're doing and what they like about their job and what they don't. And then ask them, you know, you have the conversation and say, hey, look, I really like this aspect of your job, but I don't like these other aspects. You know, is there like a sub discipline or is there a specific role that focuses on the things that I like? Um, And then on top of that, you know, is there anybody else that you can introduce me to that that, uh, I could talk to to learn, you know, a little bit more about this space as well? And so what this is going to do is going to get you some visibility into what's out there. It's also going to help you build some initial connections with people in these spaces that you want to go to. But then the most important thing is going out there and and doing it. So I think passion is a bit of a misunderstood concept. Um, You know, the media kinds of plays it up to be this thing where, you know, if you you do what you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life or, or whatever. But I think that they the, the misconception is that passion is kind of something that hits you like a bolt of lightning in the middle of the night where you you know you shoot up in bed and you, you're like oh my god I was you know I was meant to create amazing user experiences and now I know and that's just not the way it works it's it's sort of <laughs> like um, the, the two kind of goofy food analogies I use are you know pineapple on pizza or the people who kind of dip their their French fries in their Wendy's frosty um, those are weird combos, but to some people, those are like heavenly food combos and they sound weird, but somebody had to to do that thing and try it to know that they tasted good. And it's the same thing with your career. You need to go out there and and try stuff. And you're going to cross a lot of things off your list before you find the thing that, yeah, that you like doing. So go talk to those people, ask them what first step you can take and go take that first step, go read a book, go take a course, go dip your toe in the water. Um, I recommend what I call mini pilots. So essentially go pretend that you're working in that space for 30 days, go take courses, go start projects, do it for 30 days. And if you don't like it, give yourself permission to quit. Uh, A lot of people say winners don't quit. Winners quit all the time. Winners quit doing stuff that that is not beneficial to them, that is not helpful to them, that is not the direction that they want to go. So give yourself permission to quit if you don't like it and try the next pilot for the next 30 days. If you do like it, give it another 30 days and then so on and so forth, rinse and repeat. But the key is to get out there and actually take some action against some of these things you're interested in, because that is the only way that you're going to figure out whether or not a path is right for you. And that is the only way everything we just spent the last hour talking about is, is going to be effective if you know where you want to go. Yeah. And two things come to mind from what you were just saying, actually. So um, very early on in, in anybody's career, there's just like a plethora of opportunity and, and possibilities. And I think as you get older um, and you experience more, that you reduce you reduce your view of what you feel you're interested in. So I agree with what you're saying, but it's very difficult sometimes early on in your career to be able to make that, make that specific selection of where you want to go. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the other thing that just came to mind is, I cannot remember the lady's name, but there's somebody who did a, a TEDx talk specifically about trying different things and i think she set herself an objective of trying out a hundred different <laughs> jobs mm-hmm. by the time she was 25 or something like that and it's definitely worth looking at that um, to see what what she did but I'll, I'll have to find out out what it was and potentially add it into the show notes as well i love it i got the 30-day pilot idea from a friend of mine who started a, a blog where he, he called it uh 
month to mastery and he would essentially pick something. So he did songwriting for one month and a hundred pull-ups for one month. And he would essentially spend the entire month going and finding people, like we said, taking advice from people who already could do these things and then going and executing on it. And by the end of the month, he'd have a goal, you know, Hey, I'm going to write one complete song by the end of this month, or I'm going to do a hundred pull-ups by the end of this month. And it's the same thing with your career. You know, if you can set those goals and go give it a month to get it done and see if you like it, that's how you're going to figure this stuff out. Yeah, exactly. Good. Okay. And Austin, finally, can you maybe tell us how we can find out more about you and get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, The best way is either on my website. So if you go to cultivatedculture.com, it's all right there. There's a lot of stuff on the homepage in terms of we have a bunch of free tools. We have a, a resume builder, an email lookup tool to help you find those the emails for the people that you know we mentioned you connect with. And then uh, I'm also very, very active on LinkedIn. I post there pretty much every day. I try to reply to everybody's comments and messages. So if you find me on there, send me a connection request and you know you can you can follow along or message me as well. Austin really appreciate your time today thank you so much for joining me on the podcast it's been great having you thank you phil i really appreciate it hi phil here again just a final few words from me firstly i'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips experiences and insights with us on the show today as you probably know there have been more than 200 guests on the show so far and i'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.